0: I'm David Fitts, and on this episode of the Cyber Insurance Imperative, we have a very special guest with us today. Stephen Vigna is a senior advisor in the office of the National Cyber Director. So he's coming to us straight from the White House. Welcome to the program today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what your role entails? Thank you so much, David, for
1: having me. It's a real pleasure to, to see you again. I kind of want to talk a little about the office because I think maybe some of your listeners may not know a lot about the office of the National Cyber Director. We are the newest office in the White House, probably the first one in over 30 years. We were established in uh, January of of 2021 and have been moving full steam ahead since then. We're staff of around 80 folks right now. And our mission is guided by four kind of underlying
0: principles.
1: One, we really want to build what we call federal coherence. And that really gets down to is coordination across the federal government when it comes to cybersecurity. You have a lot of different agencies involved, from the intelligence community to law enforcement. And it's very important that we all kind of are coordinated in the approach that we're bringing forward to address our cyber risks. The second, we call it aligning our budget to our aspirations. and That's really making sure, and it's very similar to what we do in an industry, is making sure that the investments we're putting forward with our limited resources are really driving down risk. Third, I would say improving public-private partnerships, critical to what we do. You know, everyone all knows that, that about 90% of critical infrastructure is owned by the private sector. And so it's critical that the federal government and the private sector partner together. And then finally, what we call is an increasing present and future resilience. So we want to address not only the threats today, but looking down the road, looking at tomorrow. So those are kind of the general constructs of our office from a policy to policy coordination role. I've been with this office for about a year now. I started off as the first ever director for legislative affairs. My responsibility was standing up our office, managing our relationship with Congress as well as advocating for the administration and, and ONCD's uh, priorities on the Hill. So I did that for about a year, now I've actually moved over to a more of a policy-leaning position. I'm leading our, our cyber insurance efforts. We're helping develop and coordinate
0: the policy across the interagency. It's been a great experience so far, and really honored to be serving in this administration. Now, you made reference before to the White House's new national cybersecurity strategy. So tell us a little bit about the five pillars of this strategy. Sure.
1: So the strategy was released earlier this month. And really what we did is is we took a hard look at at challenges facing our country in cyberspace. And these won't come to any surprise from your listeners. really had to re- kind of rethink the way we approached cybersecurity. So what the strategy tries to do is it lays out a, a new vision with the underlying goal that we want to build a, a digital ecosystem that is more defensible, resilient and aligned with our values. So that's kind of our underlying goal. And to do that, we put forward two fundamental shifts. The first is that we must rebalance the responsibility for cybersecurity. Claim after claim would
0: come in, and you read the report, and it's one person clicked on a link and it caused, you
1: know, havoc for the company, perhaps billions of dollars in losses. And so we had to really rethink is that the way it should be? Should really one person hold so much responsibility? And so what we're trying to do here is that we're shifting that responsibility to those that are best positioned and most capable to bear the burden. So moving it from the small organization, the individual entity, to those that are capable best capable and closer to the risk to, to actually do something about it and so really to re-architect our digital system so we're building things like and i'm sure you've heard this before you know security by design right making it in at the beginning so that uh, that one individual is so much responsibility is not placed on them. the second thing that we do is really realigning our incentives to favor long-term investments again that's getting to this point about thinking down the road, right? As it is building out that workforce, it's zero trust architecture, security by design, making those investments in resources and capabilities. So we know that we can address not only what we're dealing with today, but looking at tomorrow. Now you asked about the pillars. So those fundamental shifts, that's kind of the the big picture. The pillars are how we carry out those two fundamental shifts. There's five of them in strategy. And within each of those pillars, there's various strategic objectives. The first being defending critical infrastructure, and so we're you know, taking a close look to see if, if more regulation is needed to ensure that there's a, at least some kind of baseline of cybersecurity hygiene for those critical services that, that you and I use every day. Second is disrupting and dismantling threat actors. Again, that's working with across the interagency, across government, to make sure we're using all levers of national power so that bad actors don't take advantage of our critical infrastructure. Third is shaping market forces to drive security and resilience, uh, shifting the liability for software. Things like IoT, we talk about insurance in this world. How can the market drive better cybersecurity? Fourth, we talk about investing in a resilient future. And then again, this gets to things like workforce research and development, post-quantum encryption. How are we thinking about those threats that we're seeing, not only today, merge, but down the road, will be front and center? And finally, our international relationships. Right? We know cyber is global. We know the cyber knows no boundaries. And so we have to be thinking international.
0: What we're doing here and what's happening in
1: Europe and Asia is also critical to, the, to their operations. And so we have to think globally in our cybersecurity. Whether it's the norms, finding responsible norms, or uh, making sure
0: different countries have capabilities and helping them have that technical expertise. Well, that's a very comprehensive overview. I want to thank you for that, Stephen. Uh, I would like to go back to one of the points that you raised before about the strategy. It seems that a key point around this is to shift liability to the software developers and other vendors when their technology fails to prevent an attack. And so I think you need to ask you how do you respond to critics who claim that this places an unfair burden on businesses due to ever-changing threat landscape, but like, to put it bluntly, can one of these technology companies really anticipate what form the next zero-day attack is going to take and design that into their products? Right, now that's a great question,
1: and, and you know, this is one that we've thought long and hard about and really touches on that fundamental shift because I think this discussion about software liability has been around for a long time, and I think this is one of the first times that the kind of government's really stepped in and said, we want to move the ball forward here because we think this is where we can make some real change. We need safer software. And how we get there, to your points, you know, maybe, maybe that might stifle innovation. And so the focus was really towards maybe we can shift the liability and see how that might incentivize stronger software development process. It's important to say, like, this is the beginning of that discussion. I think we still have a long way to go, and we are open to hearing from industry stakeholders on these issues. We've been talking about safe harbor, perhaps. You know, should you meet certain software development process? Does that open you to some kind of safe harbor? Or, you know, another option is known vulnerabilities, you know, what kind of risk do you assume if if you're pushing through a product that you know that has some vulnerabilities? So, you know, those are just different concepts we're thinking about right now. And and we're we're definitely open to hearing, you know, suggestions from from industry about this. Uh, We recognize it is a long-term process. Some of the things that we're looking at is vulnerability disclosures, software bill of materials, end-of-life support. I know from back in my insurance days that that was very important too. A lot of the insurance community looking at those uh, different processes in place for
0: software continues to be critical and is something that we're going to be taking a hard look at. Well, it's reassuring to hear that you're going to be welcoming input from industry stakeholders, so I'm sure our listeners are glad to hear that. Shifting gears for a moment, I'd like to get your thoughts on the federal backstop for cyber insurance, as I know that the Department of Treasury has been looking at this as well. Do you think it's necessary and how much control over underwriting criteria would the federal government need to have in order to make this effective? Yes, yeah, so take a step
1: back and the fact that we're, we're really, we're talking about cyber insurance and a national cyber security strategy. It's an important part of the discussion here about insurance being a part of these security discussions, being a security part. With respect to the backstop, you know, I think there's also recognition that there's been report after report about potential the potential for catastrophic losses, the potential for large cascading and systemic impacts across multiple sectors, right? So we have that out there and we have that recognition of of those types of losses out there, right? So we have this gap that perhaps may be increasing. So the question is, what are we gonna do? And so we're trying to be proactive here Assessing the need for a backstop is, is the work that's ongoing right now. And so, you know, without getting into the details, I can say that the points that you raise are issues that are being looked at. Should it be mandatory? What will it cover? What's the trigger? What's the threshold? But ultimately, the initial question is, is it warranted or not? And that's what process is happening right now. Well, it's good to hear that Treasury is coordinating with you and and taking that input into account that they've received from the comments. Stephen, any last thoughts for our listeners today? So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me. It's it's great to see you again. I think the insurance community can be a strategic partner. There's a lot of work to be done, and and working together, we'll be able to continue to move the ball forward. Uh, We value the relationship with you and your listeners in the insurance community, and so our door's open. If you would like to engage, please reach
0: out to me, and we'd love to to hear from you. That's terrific. Thanks again for appearing on the program, Stephen. Well, that about wraps it up for today. I want to thank everyone for joining and for listening. Bringing you thought leadership like Stephen Vigna is just one more way that Alliant helps you find more rewarding way to manage risk. And if you'd like to learn more about our offerings around the cyber insurance product, you can visit our website at www.appliant.com forward slash cyber. Thanks again. Until next time, take care.